0: Christ died for us. And I uh, thank the Lord for that. for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, and whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we could go on and on about that, and we could preach on that for a while, but that's not the message the Lord's given us for today. And so we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter number four. and if this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time in a while, uh, our theme for our church this year that the Lord has put on my heart, is simplify. We have been talking uh, uh, through the beginning of this year about how in this uh, overcomplicated, overscheduled, and overwhelming society we live in, God wants to show us how to simplify our focus so that we can live for the things that He created us and has called us to live for. And uh, one of the areas that the Lord has uh, been teaching us from that we need to simplify is in the realm of our soul. And uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a wonderful passage of scripture that teaches us really how we can rid our life of all the clutter that builds up on the inside and that drowns out God's voice and God's purpose for our life. And we can get that clutter out so that we can start living uh, from within the life that God has called us to live for. And it has been an enjoyable study, uh, at least for me, these past three weeks, digging in and learning more about how to simplify the soul. Now, we've said this before, but I'll say it again for sake of clarity, and I'm going to teach you something a little bit. i have tried to teach you a little bit more about the soul every week in this series, and so I want to talk about the soul for a minute. Uh, the soul is the, the thing that is the seat of your feelings, desires, and affections, Um, Your body is the part of you that relates to this physical earth. Your spirit is the part of you that relates to God. But your soul is the part of you that relates to yourself. It tells you how you're feeling. It tells you what you want. That's that's your soul. That's the part of you that would be considered the soul part of you. And beneath the, the dull exterior of your body, as we talked about last week, there lies this hidden chamber within you that... Uh, is filled with all of your thoughts and impulses and desires, both good and bad. And all of that encompasses what, what the Bible describes for us being uh, the, the region of your soul. The interesting thing about your soul is it's a place that nobody else knows about, nobody else can know about or explore except for God and you. And you know what's going on within today. You know what's going on in the region of your soul today, and God certainly knows that too, but no one else in this room does. That's something only you and God can truly understand. What I want you to see today is that God works in your soul to reveal to you what is really going on in your heart. And a verse of Scripture here is in your notes. If you don't have notes, maybe you'd like to write it down. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. The Bible says, "...the spirit of man is the candle..." of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, uh, the belly or the bowels uh, was the terminology they would use for the heart, all right? I'm glad we have changed that terminology now, all right? Uh, I love you with all of my belly, okay? Um, I love you with all of my bowels, all right? Uh, That's literally how they'd say it in the Old Testament. I'm glad we have changed in our culture a little bit. The Bible says that the spirit of man or the soul of man is that candle of the Lord that searches all the inward desires of your heart. And so I say again, God works in your soul to reveal to you what's really going on in your heart. And another word that we often use and that the Bible uses to refer to your soul is the conscience. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard of conscience before. Uh, the word conscience, it has two parts to it, con, which is a uh, A a prefix that means with, and so con, and then science, which means knowledge, and when you put those two together, what the conscience is, what the conscience does, it is something that tells you, gives you knowledge about what's going on within your heart, and so the conscience reveals what's going on within, Um, and it's another uh, piece of your life that relates and connects to your soul, that's what the Bible teaches us, and it is in the soul region of your conscience that you determine what you believe is right and what you believe is wrong. Uh, it's in your soul, in your conscience, where your values and principles are shaped. What you believe to be right and what you, to, what you believe to be is wrong. The interesting thing is, and don't miss this, God is the one that gave you your conscience. Man was created as a living soul. God did that. We didn't do that. God gave us conscience. And God gave us conscience for a very specific purpose... He wants our conscience to be a light that will help us understand right from wrong so that we can make the right decisions in life. And chief among those decisions is choosing to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he wants to guide our conscience, guide our soul to believe in him and his truth. But this is where the battle begins for us. This is where it gets really difficult for us living in this sin-cursed world that we live in. Because Satan knows That if he can control your conscience or your soul, he can control your life. All right? The devil went down to Georgia. (laughs) What was he after? A soul. It's all in our culture. But it's more than just a silly song. It's real. The devil knows if he can control your conscience, if he can control what you believe is right and wrong and how you live your life, he'll control your life. That's why this battle for the soul is so critical. And so Satan has interspersed deceptive lies into our culture today to convince your conscience about what is right and what is wrong. Can I tell you, he's been working overtime to to normalize sin, especially in the day that we're living in today, to make things that we should know are absolutely wrong seem like they're okay. To make things that seem like they should be right be called wrong by our society. That's what Satan is doing today, and today we live in a society where homosexuality is looked at as being normal. You know, there was a day and a time when that wasn't true. By the way, if you're a homosexual in here today, I love you in Jesus' name, I have nothing against you, but the Bible clearly condemns the practice. And I'm not going, I'm not going to shy away from talking about this kind of thing. We live in a society that wants to normalize homosexuality. We live in a society where a man dressing up like a woman it's supposed to be normal. We're supposed to accept that. Like, that's just how he wants to live, and, and we, should, we should be okay with this. And uh, there's an agenda that's being por- forced on us in our society. We live in a world where cohabitation, a man and a woman living together, outside the bounds of marriage, is called normal today. Can I tell you, the Bible clearly condemns it, still. And I'm going to keep preaching it as long as God gives me breath to preach. My friend, I'm not trying to throw you under the rug or make you, feel, make you feel guilty today. I'm just telling you, these are lies. Lies that you might have fallen prey to. That Satan has interspersed all through our culture. We live in a society where children are being encouraged uh, in schools to explore sinful lifestyles. And they're calling that normal as well. Um, and, and, and if there's a systematic normalization of calling evil things good and calling good things evil. And I can go on and on about this, all right? We can even talk about how we have a president now that wants to give out drugs to people, and we're supposed to call that normal as well. You say, you're getting political. No, I'm just giving you facts today, okay? I'm giving you evidences in our society of things that are taking place, how we see Satan doing exactly what I'm talking to you about. He is trying to captivate the souls of men. And then after Satan convinces your conscience that the things the Bible calls sinful are acceptable... Then he compels you to live your life based on that warped conscience. So if he can get you to agree that, well, the Bible didn't mean it when it said that this is wrong. It's okay if I do this. If he can get you to agree with that, then he'll get you to live out of that warped conscience. You'll start living a life that cannot be blessed. And that cannot cannot lead to any good destination for you. We hear these subtle lies that Satan whispers all the time. How about this one? Let your conscience be your guide. Your conscience is screwed up, friend. The Bible says our hearts are desperately wicked. Right? Your conscience does not need to be your guide. Well, you just do you. You just do what you feel is best for you to do, whatever makes you happy. So if it makes you happy to kill people, are you just supposed to go around killing people? Where do you draw the line? You say, well, that's not a fair, that's not a fair parallel. It is a fair, par- par- fair parallel. All right? There has to be somebody who gets to say who's right and wrong. And that somebody has already been determined it's God. But Satan wants you to believe that you can just believe whatever you want. You can practice whatever you want. And hey, just live your life. Just do what you want. Let your conscience be your guide. Follow your heart. You do you. We hear that today. How about this one? I'm a dad of four daughters. Let it go. All right? Let it go. Or this one. Uh, show yourself. All right? Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? Well, if you, if you have girls... You know exactly what I'm talking about, okay, from a Disney movie. Show yourself. And uh, as a dad of four daughters, I am unapologetic about the fact I know about those things, okay? But these lies are interspersed all throughout our society today. Satan wants you to believe that you can just do whatever you want with no no repercussions. That he can control your life if he can get you to believe that. And thus, even as God is working to direct your conscience with his truth, Satan is also working to deceive your conscience with his lies. And it's something that's taking place. There's a war that is being fought today for your soul. To steal your desires, to steal your affections, and to rob you of having any type of real feeling for the things of God. And Satan, he doesn't have to get get you into something that's blatantly sinful as long as he can give you a desire or a feeling that isn't for God. He's accomplished his goal. If he, can, if he can direct your soul to anything but God, then he's won. That's what he's after. And he's doing it to believers and unbelievers all throughout our society today. That's why 1 Peter chapter 5, and verse 7, it warns us, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walks about seeking whom he may devour. Satan is out to destroy your life. You make no mistake about it. John chapter 10 makes it very clear that his agenda is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what he's after in your life today. And so there's a very real battle being fought for your soul today. You wonder why there's so much struggle in our society today with depression. There's so much struggle with anxiety. There's so much struggle with suicide. There's so much struggle and the list could go on and on and on. Why? Because Satan is fighting a very real battle and sadly he's winning it in many people's hearts. And so we need to be aware of the severity of the battle that is taking place today for our souls. And church, I just want to say as a personal testimony that I have labored these past several weeks to warn you about this very real battle that is taking place in our society today. Because it grieves my heart to get phone calls or to see Facebook posts or to hear about things that are happening in our church family where I know you're struggling in your soul. Now, As long as we live in this this world, this sin-cursed world, we're not going to get away from these soul struggles. But what grieves my heart about it is when I see it taking place, you're not turning to the right source to deal with it. That's what really grieves my heart. With all my heart, I want you to get what the Scripture is teaching us in this passage of Scripture, how the Lord can give you victory over these soul struggles. It hurts my heart to see Satan taking advantage of so many people in the soul region. And You hear me out on this. Every time you fall prey to depression or anxiety, you're letting Satan win. When you go to a psychologist to discover yourself, to figure out what all your problems were, you're letting Satan win. I tell you, another man can't give you the answer you're looking for. God can. Right. Amen. Whenever you turn to self-medication, whether it be pornography, alcohol, drugs, a sinful lifestyle, overeating, amusement, hey, I the list can go on and on. Whenever you turn to something else to deal with the evil feelings in your heart instead of God, you're letting Satan win. you just, you're, just as, as believers, Satan cannot take any ground that we don't give to him. And you're just willfully letting him win in your life when you don't turn to God and you turn to something else than God to deal with the struggle that you're facing in your soul. I need you to understand this because if you don't understand why you need what we're going to talk about today, you just write it off. You don't even think you need it. This is for somebody else. This isn't for me. Listen, this is for all of us. All of us us have a battle going on for our soul today. All of us have struggles in this realm. And all of us need the help that God is prescribing for us today. And so anytime you turn to anything else than God to deal with your soul struggle, you are willfully letting Satan take advantage of you. And I tell you this, as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Listen, there's nothing new under the sun. The thing that the devil's doing today is not not something that he hasn't already done before. I hear people say, well, we've never lived in a worse time than what we're living in today. Really? Are Christians getting killed in the street? We happen to meet underground so that the government doesn't come and try to kill all of us? You better think really carefully about that. Well, the Bible says the times are going to get worse and worse. And in one sense, I understand what you're saying. But friend, we're very blessed to live in the time that we're living in today. You could write it off. Well, my problems are just because the world's so bad. It's not my fault. It's the the world's so bad. Or you could identify the fact that the reason you're having struggles is because there's a battle going on for your soul. And you need to turn to the Lord to find victory in the life you're living today. I'm going to make a bold statement. I want you to hear me out on this. Only a fool would turn to self-help methods instead of God. You say, where are you getting that from? Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. We've got a whole society today that's consumed with self-discovery. You know what the Bible calls that process? Foolish. You don't need self-help. You need Savior help today. You need God's help today. And the sooner you realize it and are willing to admit it, the sooner you'll be on the pathway to victory. By the way, God wants you to love Him with all your soul. Matthew 22 and verse 37, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy what, church? Soul and with all thy strength. God wants you to love Him with all your soul. What that means is that you give all of your a, a desire and affection to the Lord. You value the Lord above everybody else or we could put it this way God wants, you to be, God wants to be the one that your soul turns to before anyone or anything else. He wants you to love Him first foremost. Whenever you begin to have a soul struggle, anxiety or depression or, or, or whatever the case may be, God wants to be the first person that you get on your knees and you turn to for help. God wants you to love Him with all of your soul. So do you love God with all your soul today? You look at your life this past week. Whenever you had a soul struggle, who did you turn to? You call somebody? You turn on the TV to distract your mind? See, we often turn to anything but God. God says, I just want want you to turn to me. I just want you to love me with all of your soul. That's what He's after here. The past several weeks, we've already uncovered from this passage we're about to look at five out of six choices you can make to simplify this struggle we're talking about today. I've labored to try to convey the need of it to you, but now I want to give you a final choice that God gives us in the scripture that will give you victory when it comes to this matter of your soul struggle. Now, the first of the five choices that we looked at was that you must choose to receive The mercy that God is offering to you. Then we looked at how you need to choose to renounce some things in your life. Give up some things to reduce this soul conflict in your life. Then we looked at how you need to choose to represent, to shine the light of Christ through your life. Don't live a double life. Being a Christian when 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 at church and living another life in a different place. Then we looked at how you need to choose to retain. There's some things God has already given you. You need to get a hold of and take advantage of them. it will simplify your soul struggle then last week, we looked at how you need to choose to be renewed. And every day, God wants to pour into your life and make you like new in the, soul, in the inner region of your heart. And uh, it's such an important truth right there. We're not going to park on those. Today, we're going to look at a final choice you can make to simplify your soul struggle. Let's look at it in verses 17 and 18. If you're there with me, say amen. Amen. This is what the Bible says. This is also in your notes if you want to look at it there. It says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Even while Satan is trying to stir up a conflict in your soul, there is one choice that you can make that will silence his voice every single time. And that choice we're going to look at here from these verses is this. You need to choose to regard. Choose to regard some things. Or choose to look at, to examine some things uh, in your life. And I'm I'm introducing it. I want us to pray and ask God to speak to our hearts before we dive too deeply into this. But there's something that God wants you to look at here today. What it is, is eternity. God wants you to look at at your life through the lens of eternity. Instead of being pragmatic and just focusing on the here and now, and how hard it is right here, and how, how, hard, how, how, the, how these emotions are weighing me down, instead of just living in the moment, God wants you to zoom out on your life and look at your present conflict in light of eternity. And I'm telling you something, if you'll look at what God's wanting you to look at here today, it'll change your life so let's pray and ask God to speak to our heart through these truths. Our Father, we come before you this morning once again, Lord, and just feel compelled to stop and pray, Lord, because we need your help. And uh, these truths that we're about to present, Lord, you you have given them to us so that we could walk in victory. And uh, uh, you've given them to us so that we could have a a hope that cannot be diminished, that will never pass away within our souls. And I pray that this hope would be spread abroad in our hearts today. And as we go from this place, that we look at our life, whatever our circumstance in life, and we'd realize, Lord, that there is hope. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts through these truths. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The sixth choice that you can make to simplify your soul struggle is that you must choose to regard some things. Now, the Bible in verse verse number 18, I don't know why I just closed my Bible, but the Bible in verse number 18, we just read it, look at it again. It says, While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Verse 18 indicates here that there are some things that you need to look at. There's also some things that you don't need to look at. And that word, look, in verse eighteen is translated from a Greek word "scopio." Now, what English word do you think we got from that? Scope. All right, we know something about scopes here, okay? And in, in the hunting capital of the world. All right, um, and uh, but that's literally uh, the word that's used there. It's "scopio," and "scopio" in the Greek it, it means to inspect or to consider something more closely, or to examine something. It's in the present uh, uh, tense and in the active voice, which means for us that it's a decision that we need to make right now. You need to choose right now that you're going to start looking at some things a little bit more closely, considering some things in your life a little bit more closely. Now, my daughter for Christmas, we asked her what she wants for Christmas, and she asked for a microscope, all right? She's a nerd like I am, all right? And uh, so we bought her this little microscope. And if you've ever done, done anything with microscopes, it's actually fun uh, when, you, when you do have kids and they start asking for things because a lot of times you like to play with them more than the kids do. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? All right? Uh, Dad, will you please give me my toys back? I want to play with them. But anyways, uh, they got this, they got this microscope. And you know, you use a microscope to examine something more closely. And uh, that's something that, uh, that, you use, that you would use this instrument for. And you know, upon closer examining something, oftentimes you begin to see things in a way that you didn't see them before. This, this microscope in particular has different lenses you can put in and different light settings that you can put on that show, that show you different things that you put under the microscope in different lights. And sometimes you turn on a different light or put on a different lens and you can see it in a way that you hadn't seen it before, that you couldn't have seen it in any other way. Can I tell you that God wants to use His Word today to zoom in on your life and to help you see some things that you may not have ever seen before? He wants to put in some lenses into the view of your heart that will help you see things in a new light and maybe even give you some victory in your life over some of the things that you have been struggling with. And so would you let God take the lens of His Word to accomplish this work in your heart? And I think it's so important that you open yourself to the truth that God wants to present to us today and allow God's Word to change the way that you view your life. In this text of Scripture, I believe the Lord challenges us here to view our temporal lives in light of eternity. And we're going to see that repeated over and over again. And in this text, there are three eternal truths that you need to regard that you need to look at more closely as the Bible begins to expose them to us. And as you look at these three truths that we're going to mention here this morning, the Lord will use those truths to change the way you live your life. Here's the first eternal truth I want want you to write down if you're taking notes this morning, and that is this, eternity changes your problems. Eternity changes your problems. Now in this passage, we don't have time to go back and, review everything here, but let me summarize by saying Paul had already conveyed in this passage the the many burdens that the apostles carried throughout their lifetimes. And yet through all that they endured, he also spoke of how the grace of God had been sufficient and superabounding for every trouble that they ever had to face. And so even though their outward bodies were deteriorating, he speaks in verse 16 of how their souls were being renewed by God's grace every single day. And now in the closing words of this chapter, he speaks of a truth which he chose to look at continually that gave him a measure of hope no matter what he faced in his life. And let's look at what it is again in verse 17. He says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I think it's interesting that Paul refers to everything that he had faced in his life, everything that you and I could possibly face in our life as being nothing more than light affliction. How many of you would agree with me in saying, a lot of the problems I've faced in life have not felt like light affliction. But from the scope of eternity, Paul says, ah, it's just light affliction. It's nothing really. Think about what he's talking about there. The word light it comes from the Greek elephros, it literally means to be light and weight. It's not just talking about a light season, it's talking about something that's not very heavy at all, all right? And then light affliction, that word affliction is the Greek phlipsis, and it speaks of a, a pressure or something that's being press, pressed together, all right? And boy, in, our, in the soul region, we sure feel those pressures, don't we? We sure sure feel those burdens when they come on, and they seem so heavy. We just don't know how we're going to make it through. We just don't know how we're going to go on. The Bible says they're light afflictions. And all the pressures we face in this life are just featherweights in God's point of view, are just featherweights from eternity's perspective. Not only that, but as you look on at the verse, the Bible tells us how long they're supposed to last. Paul goes on to say that they last but for a moment. So not only are the, all the problems that we have to go through in this life featherweights, but they're fleeting. They last just, just a moment. It's here and it's gone. That's literally the idea of what the Bible's conveying to us here. And you know, one of the truths that I often hold on to, I've often held on to throughout my life uh, from the Bible, it often repeats this phrase, and it came to pass. How many of you are glad that there are some seasons that come to pass in life? <laughs> and we're glad when they're over. Abraham Lincoln, one of our presidents, through all the things that he went through, he was one that was notorious for repeating, This too shall pass. This too shall pass. And I don't care what you're going through today, friend. It's not near as heavy as what you think it is. And it won't last near as long as what you think it will. The Bible says it's light affliction that lasts but for a moment. And so all the problems you endure in this life, they're meager. And they're momentary, but there's another thing verse 17 tells us about them. Look at verse 17 again. It says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, and what's the next word? Worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You know what the Bible says here? The Bible says that all the problems, the pressures you face in your soul, they're a means to an end. The Bible literally says here, they're working for you. Think about that. They're working together for you. You say, it doesn't seem like my problems are working out really well for me right now, pastor. That's what the Bible says. They're working for you. And uh, the word translated here is worketh is katergezimai in the Greek, and it, it literally means to be worked out or to bring about or to result in something. It's in the present tense and in the middle voice, which means that this is something that's happening to you right now. All right? It's, 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 it's not something you're necessarily doing to yourself, but it's something that's happening to you right now. God is using all the light affliction that you're going through right now, and he is bringing it to an end. He is doing something in your life for your good and for his glory through it. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 and verse number 28, and we know that all things... Not some things, not the things we like, not the things we enjoy. All things work together for good to them who love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. i tell you what, that's a pretty powerful truth right there. I don't care what problems you face in your life. I don't care what struggles you're going through in your soul today. God is using it to work on your behalf. He, he is using it as a means to an end, and He knows where He's taking you. You may not understand it. You may not understand why you're going through what you're going through today, but God knows what He's doing. and God's taking you somewhere through that pressure, through that trial, through that problem that you're going through here today. And you, might, you might think, well, how exactly is this working for me? <laughs> because right now, I'm looking at what I'm going through, and it sure doesn't seem like it's going my way at all. I understand that feeling. And anytime any of us go through troubles and trials in life, I think we can get to that point. This is where your soul will betray you. Don't miss this. This is where Satan will solicit you to believe things in your soul that are simply not true. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants to get you to believe that your life is better off without God. No, he won't just come out and say it that way. But God will tell you what He wants you to do, and He wants you to trust him, Satan will come along and say, "Ah, this seems so hard, man. Why don't you just do it this way? This is so much easier. the path of least resistance. Satan will come along and try to get you to go his way. When the soul battle takes place and when you're going through the problems of life, you feel this the most. You be careful. Satan would love to come along at, 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 at you, in, in the moments of your vulnerability and lead you astray with his lies. When the moment, when you're facing a problem and you're not sure what to do, what you need to start doing is listening to the truth. What is the truth? Now well, God tells us what he's using our problems to bring about. Look at it here, verse 17. The Bible says all the pressures we face in life, they are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight Of glory. Two types of burdens are being contrasted here. The Bible mentions light affliction, and at the end of the verse, it talks about a weight of glory. Two different kinds of type of weights, Um, burdens that are mentioned here in the scripture. Don't miss this. Listen to me on this. The weight of the burdens you will carry on this earth pale in comparison to the weight of the blessings you will obtain in eternity. Well, you look at your life right now and what you're going through, and it seems so heavy. Friend, when we get to eternity, you look back on it and realize, wow, that was nothing. Compared to what I have right now in the Lord, that was nothing. That was like a drop in the bucket. Reminds me of a, uh, a story I heard about a a dad who was out playing basketball with his young son. And his, his son was, was real young. They were playing on a 10-foot rim at their house, and the boy just... He kept on trying to chuck that ball up to the hoop and make the basketball in the hoop, but he just couldn't do it. He just was too young. He wasn't quite able to do it, and the dad kept trying to coach him, kept trying to help him, kept trying to show him how he wanted him to shoot, and he just couldn't quite get it up there. And finally, the dad got a little frustrated, and he picked up the ball, and he shot the hoop, and he looked at his son, and he said, look, now that, it's just that easy. That little guy looked up at his dad, a little exasperated, and he said, that's easy for you to say. You're way up there, but I'm still way down here, and it's really hard from down here. And I think about that story, and a lot of times that's how we treat God. We think, God, I'm still down here. It's really hard down here. I know you're up there, and you just tell me to trust you, and it's all going to work out, but it's really hard from where I'm standing right now. That's a very real emotion. But, friend, what God is asking you to do is to look at your problems from an eternal perspective. He's got this. He's working your problems out for your good and His glory. He knows what He's doing. Just trust Him. That's what He's compelling you to do through the scriptures here today. I want you to notice how the Bible says this weight of glory carries so much weight. Uh, First off, the Bible says that this weight of glory is far more exceeding. The Greek word used there, I love this when this connection is made, is hyperbole. Uh, hyperbole in the Greek, it, it speaks of something that's beyond, beyond measure. Most of the time when we think in our English vernacular of the word hyperbole, it refers to an exaggerated claim that couldn't possibly be true. You're using hyperbole, you're speaking with words that are over-exaggerated and couldn't possibly be true. You know when God uses hyperbole, it's true. Because God can do exceeding abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think. There's, no, there's nothing that God says that is hyperbole in a negative sense. Anytime God speaks of something that's beyond measure, guess what? It's beyond measure. And guess what? What waits for you in heaven is something beyond your comprehension. <laughs> I has not seen nor ear heard the things which God has prepared for them that love him, the Bible says. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us, Romans 8.18 says. Listen, everything you endure in this life is a drop in the bucket compared to what you're going to get to enjoy in eternity with the Lord. When you start looking at things from God's perspective, an eternal perspective, it changes the way that you view your problems. All of a sudden, your problems just become light affliction. And compared to the weight of what I'm going to have in heaven with the Lord, everything I go through down here in this life, psh, it's nothing. Now, I understand some of you going through pretty tough stuff. But if you get a hold of this truth, it'll help you here today. And guess what? The Bible says it's not only far more exceeding, but it says it's also an eternal weight of glory. And whereas your problems in this life are but for a moment, they're fleeting. The weight of glory, what God has for you in heaven, it lasts forever. And ever, and ever, and ever. Friend, it'll be worth it living for the Lord Jesus. And so we see the first, the first truth of eternal truth we see here is that eternity changes your problems. Now we've got to hustle along here to the second thing, and that is that eternity changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. Look at verse 18 with me, if you would. And here After conveying this contrast between what we face on the earth and what we will enjoy in heaven, Paul goes on to compel us then to focus on eternal things. And he says in verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. And you know, there are there is so much more to life than the things that our eyes can just see. There's so much more to life than things that our eyes can see. How many of you ever used or gone, gone to a 3D theater before? Uh, I remember uh, not as much opportunity for that in a smaller town like ours. But I remember growing up close to Indianapolis the first time that I went to an IMAX theater in Indi- the IMAX theater in Indianapolis, and uh, we went and watched a uh, two different two different documentaries when I was a kid. We went and watched one about ancient Egypt, all right, mummies, and then the second time we went and watched one about um, sharks. And uh, needless to say, I was petrified of 3D theaters after, after those experiences as a young boy. Um, no, I really did enjoy them, though, in all seriousness. And I remember going in there, and they gave us, uh, not, not this fancy of the 3D glasses, but they gave us those 3D glasses, and, and you walk in, and the, and the movie would start, and you couldn't really see what was going on. It was blurry. You couldn't really discern what was happening. But boy, as soon as you put those glasses on, <laughs> wow, it's jumping out at you. You could see things you'd never seen before. And you see them closer and more vividly than you'd ever seen anything before. And boy, it was amazing to start looking at things from that new perspective. I tell you, when you start looking at your life through the lens of God's Word, the scope of eternity, it'll it'll change the way that you look at everything in your life. And that's what the Bible is teaching to us here. We're not looking at the things which we can see, but the things which we don't see. How do we see those things? We see those things by faith in God's Word. That's how we see those things. Can I tell you something? Whenever you don't look at your life through the lens of eternity, everything seems blurry and hard to understand. It doesn't make sense. Life without understanding what the Lord is doing. But when you put on your eternal goggles, and you put on those glasses that help you see things from God's perspective, everything starts to make a whole lot more sense. And so don't look at your life through the blurry lens of your own finite understanding. Guess what? You're not God. You don't see things the way God sees them, you don't do things the way God does them. Your ways are not God's ways. You're a fallen human being, and the sooner you learn to just trust God with whatever's happening in your life, the sooner your perspective will be improved. And to view your life with, eternal, with an eternal perspective, you know what it's going to require? Faith. Right. Yeah. Faith is trusting God even when you can't see or understand. I, my favorite definition of faith is that faith is not being able to see, but believing the word of the one who can see. You may not see how it's going to work out. You may not see where you're headed with the situation that you're going through in your life right now, but God does. And if you would be willing to look at things from God's perspective and trust Him, it'll change the way that you're looking at your life here today. And so eternity should change your perspective. By the way, can I say this? When you choose to look at your life in light of eternity, God can show you things that you never would have seen in any other way. As the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love Him, but God has revealed them to us by His Spirit. But when you start looking at your life through the lens of eternity, God can start revealing things that you never would have seen in any other way. All right? Things start jumping out to you. Wow, you know what? I... I shared the gospel. I heard someone tell me this this last week. I shared the gospel with that lady. And several weeks later, there she was coming down the aisle to trust Christ as her Savior. What are you doing? You're seeing things in light of eternity. He's saying, you know what? A little seed I sowed there, God brought a harvest from it. It changes the way you look at everything in your life. Looking at things with the the lens of eternity even allows you to take the problems from your past, the hurts from your past, and see how they led you to the point you're at today. You can give God praise for those things. And so, hey, eternity... I'll take these off. You guys aren't taking me seriously with these on. I'm used to wearing glasses, so... Uh, Eternity... Changes, uh, changes your problems, your perspective on your problems. Eternity changes your perspective. And then the final thing I want us to see, and I'll hustle with this, is that eternity changes your priorities. And so in the final words of this chapter in verse 18, Paul conveys to us the reason why we ought to look at life in light of eternity. Verse 18 says, For the things which are seen are what? Temporal. But the things which are not seen are what? Eternal. Eternal. Now, Paul here, he presents a a striking contrast between temporal and eternal things. And what he's really comparing is the value of temporal things versus the value of eternal things. And I want you to consider this with me for a few moments because, listen, eternal priorities are of infinitely more value than temporal priorities or earthly priorities. And Jesus emphasized this over and over and over in the Scriptures. In Luke chapter 6, he told us, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where it's just going to corrode and corrupt and and pass away, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where nothing corrodes. Everything's of value for eternity. Jesus was giving us a contrast. The things you can get on this earth, they pale in comparison to the things that you can have in eternity. He's telling us to value eternal things over temporal things. Um, furthermore, the, the things that you live for one day, the Bible teaches us, they will be tried before God and it will be revealed if you lived for what mattered. Now, I want you to look at your notes. I know we're, I know we're late in the time, but I want you to get this. Look in your notes at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 11. The Bible says, "...for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. The Bible says everything you do with your life, after you trust Christ as your Savior, is being built up like a structure on top of that foundation. And when you live for things that won't matter for eternity... The Bible compares it to wood, hay, and stubble. When the fire of God's judgment falls on your life at the end of your time on this earth, it'll all be burned up. In other words, you'll have nothing to show. You will have accomplished nothing that mattered for eternity if that's all you spend your life doing. Boy, if you build things that are made of gold, uh, silver, and precious stones, what does fire do to those things? It just refines it. It just makes it even better. I'm going to tell you something. You live your life doing what matters for eternity. You'll have something to show as an act of praise to the Lord at the final judgment. You say, can I lose my salvation? I'm being tried by this fire. It's not talking about hell fire. It's talking about the judgment fire of God. If you know Christ is your Savior, hey, you'll still be saved on that day. I don't know about you. I'd like to have something to show that I did with the life that God gave to me. So if the fire of God's judgment were to fall on your life today, Would there be anything left? Or have you lived your life for things that don't matter? That's a convicting question. But it's an important question. If you want to simplify your soul struggle, you need to start looking at your life through the lens of eternity. It'll change your whole perspective on your life. Can I tell you, more money in the bank won't matter for eternity? Watching that football game tonight? won't matter for eternity? There's a whole lot of things we could say it won't matter for eternity that we waste our life on. But what will matter for eternity? Listen to me on this. Every moment you spend with God will matter for eternity. Every investment you make in your family will matter for eternity. I had another man tell me this past week, and I've, I've heard it once, I've heard it a hundred times, I wish I had spent more time with my family. That'll matter. Every soul you lead to Christ will matter for eternity. Every dollar you give into the the work of God goes to missionaries, that supports the work of the gospel, that stuff will matter for eternity. Every act of service that you give in the work of the Lord, that will matter for eternity. You see, we we already know these things. And yet we still allow earthly priorities to supersede eternity eternal priorities God is calling us to simplify and that process involves you making some big choices to start living for what matters for eternity at some point you're going to have to ask yourself what's more valuable what's more valuable when you get to the end of your life and you lay in a casket up in front of a church like this what will you have wished you spent more of your life doing Well, I wish I'd worked more. I doubt you'll say that. That's the real question you should ask yourself. And anywhere where you have a shortfall in your heart that the Lord is convicting you about, that's the decision you need to make something about today. That's something that if the Lord is speaking to you about a specific area, that's what you need to do something with here today. God's calling you to simplify this struggle in your soul And so looking at your life from the scope of eternity, it will change your life. It will change the way you view the problems you face in life. They're just light afflictions. They're lasting for a moment. And boy, everything that God allows me to go through is just going to make heaven all the better. It'll change the way you look at your problems. It'll change your perspective on the way that you're looking at your life today. And it will change your priorities. You'll not live for temporal things. You'll live for eternal things. Can I tell you something? the more you live in this world and you understand these truths we're talking about today, the more you ought to come to the conclusion that it will be worth it to live for Jesus Christ. It will be worth it. It reminds me of the hymn that we often sing. Oft times the day seems long Our trial's hard to bear And we're tempted to complain To murmur and despair. But Christ will soon appear to catch His bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. If you know it, sing it with me. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. It will be worth it all. It will be worth it all. And so, will you let God simplify your soul struggle today by choosing to look at your life from His eternal point of view? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes together. Our heads are